Hello and welcome to Learning to Grow with me, your host, Barbara Rubio, Relationships and Identity Expert. In this podcast, we'll be talking about all things relationships, answering some of the most common questions I get from coaching clients, and also bringing you interviews with other coaches and experts in the fields to shed light on a variety of aspects that can influence our relationships, both personal and professional. Our guest today is Mike Staunton, an international personal financial coach and CEO and founder of Money Like Mike. Mike is originally from North Carolina, though he currently lives in Melbourne, Australia. His mission is to teach others how to take control of their money, something that he had to learn the hard way through mistakes that cost him a lot of time and money. So much so that when he was in his early 20s, he had $100,000 in debt and nothing to show for it. Now that he's in his 30s, he has been able to create the financial freedom that he once dreamt of, and that consists of traveling, bike riding, leaving the nine to five rat race, serving others through his coaching and volunteering at places that are close to his heart. In today's conversation, Mike and I talk about the role of money in relationships, and we discuss some healthy financial practices that might just save your relationship from breakup. So let's get on with it. Good morning, Mike. Nice to have you again in the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me again. I'm excited to talk about our subject today. And since our previous chat, I found out that, of course, not all divorces happen because of financial issues, but out of all the people who do get divorced, there is a very large percentage that get divorced because they have money arguments or money disagreements. So I wanted to focus on this and to get some ideas from you as to why that might be happening and then how we can, as a couple, whether you're married or you're not married, but what can you do to improve the quality of your finances or to get more clarity as to how to go about it? So of course, uh, it's, it's a big topic. <laughs> And um, why don't we start by asking a question. Uh, why do you think, Mike, it is so hard for couples to talk about money? Hey, that's a big question. I mean, just that question alone could take a podcast, but let's dive in. And Yeah, just give us your... Yeah. Probably childhood. It could come from their parents. Right. It's how they were programmed. I like the word program. So how they were programmed or brought up or raised in the way of is money a fear? Is money a uh, taboo? Is it is it just you, you just don't talk about it. You just never talk about it. You sweep it under the rug uh, and then you get two people raised that same way. And now the communication is never going to come to the table. People just never even talk about it. So that's a, that's a huge problem in just not knowing, not knowing mm. what the other person's thinking, not knowing what the other person's dreams are. Uh, why do we go out to eat every Friday night? Why do we never go out to eat? Why do we save money into retirement? It, that Ask the question, why? What, is, what are our goals? What are our dreams? And when two people are in a relationship, it's a huge thing to really be in an agreement on 
to know what the other one is thinking, feeling, and then therefore how they're going to act. Mm. Yeah, I suppose that's absolutely true. I don't know what your experience was growing up, but my experience in, uh, in, in, uh, the model of what it looks like to talk about money within my, with, in my family, with my parents, as I was growing up, you're absolutely right. I don't think they ever talked about money in a, in a sort of let's take control of our finances way, but it was always uh, discussing the problems, scarcity of money, let's not do this, let's not buy that, we can't afford this. Um, so it was always quite negative talk around it. There was never any opportunity. F- for example, they never explained to me why we couldn't buy things um, if we wanted to buy something. So I suppose that, yeah, that could be true. Uh, the way that I communicate um, with my part, with my husband about money is to some extent a model of what I learned or a repetition of what I saw my parents do. Uh, but that can be changed, right? A hundred percent. You said the word programming. So, so how do we yeah. go about changing it then? That's right. It's something that we learned. So there's two things you'd have to unlearn what you learn and then learn something new. And it's very doable. For example, my childhood as well. It's very timely, our talk today, because earlier in my day in Australia, I got to speak to my mom and we were talking for quite a while today, a few hours actually. And uh, we got onto the subject of finances and money and stuff like that. So I have a story of something that happened to me when I was 10, where she didn't see that she did anything wrong, which as an adult, I can see where she's coming from. But as a kid, I thought she was stealing my money. Mm. How come? In, <laughs> in what way? <laughs> for example, this this story uh, that I remember, uh, I had in the U.S. I had ten dollars worth of coins for whatever reason. You know, I'm just saving coins. You know, quarters and dimes and stuff like that. And and her, for her, her story, she needed to to buy a few things for groceries that night or whatever. Right. So, so that was her story. My story is that she stole from me. Now, her story was she just needed to buy some groceries and she paid me back, which she did. But she didn't ask. I felt she didn't ask to borrow it, though. Today, she she let me know she did <laughs> ask. Um, I don't remember that part of the story. But today she let me know that she asked, even though I told her no, as say I was 10 years old, I told her no. But then, then it comes down to a, they're the adult and I'm the child at that time. Mm. But that's a story that I was programmed. I programmed myself to believe this. And you can have good intentioned parents. I'm sure your parents were good, good parents. But then, you know, it was the scarcity thing. All I needed, and it sounded the same to you, is I wanted a reason. I wanted to understand why you needed my $10 of of coins for tonight's dinner, Mm. right? Not, I don't want to hear the reason of I'm the parent, you're the child. That's, that's not healthy. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's down to a communication, even with your 10 year old, right? You have little ones at home now and you need to be able to have those conversations while they're little. And as they grow up, they'll understand more and take that skill into their family into the future. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes uh, we could easily change our minds 
by just understanding the reasons, isn't it? And I, I think it, it it does come to parenting as well and uh, moving away from this idea of because I say so or because I'm the adult and actually get into, into a conversation. So how did you then having had those experiences and, and that being your program in your mind, because you don't remember your mom asking you permission or explaining that she needed to go buy groceries or whatever. Um, how did you end up then changing your understanding of money or your conversations about money with other people? Maybe not with your parents necessarily, because often we don't tackle these issues with our own parents, but, but we changed the program. How did that happen for you? Because you're a financial coach now. So <laughs> I know a little bit about your story and how you were in debt and how that, you know, prompted you to, to, to say, okay, enough is enough. Now I need to learn how to take charge of my finances so that I don't repeat the situation ever again. But in terms of being able to talk about money with those close to you, how did you break that barrier? Uh, it's tough. Still doing it. Mm. Uh, still, still doing it. Um, and I think it in that moment, back to that moment of when I was ten, of when my my mom took my money in quotes, that uh, I was never going to be in that situation. So I was for the longest time I was running away from being like my parents. And then as I get older, my 20s and 30s, and then I get into a relationship where money is a subject that we talk about very regularly. Now, in the beginning, uh, I was kind of, you know, early relationships or short relationships. I was seeing myself. I was being like my parents again, almost like a dictatorship of, no, this is the way it's going to be. And that, and it wasn't healthy. So I had to unlearn that. I had to catch myself. I had to look the man in the mirror and say, whoa, slow it down, Mike. And then I had to learn from someone that actually knew what they were doing. So I had to read books. I had to listen to uh, YouTube or audiobooks or podcasts such as what we're talking about today. I had to be open and learning through someone that has experience that I don't need to go and learn the hard way. Hmm. So was your early um was your early experience of money in in other relationships not your current relationship but you said that you were the one dictating this is how it's going to be and was was that dictation was were those rules based on the fear you had about losing money and therefore you wanted to just control the finances the way that you thought uh money was going to be there when you needed it as opposed to now where you might be more inclined to negotiate to make sure that money, you know, is freer for both you and your partner. Yeah. I, I want to touch on that actually as, as a man at that time in earlier relationships, I wasn't winning when it came to money. Mm -hmm. I was in debt, you know, a little bit about my story. I was doing this living paycheck to paycheck. And in uh, those relationships I was in during that time, I felt like a failure as a man. I can't even take care of myself. How am I going to take care of my mm. partner? Uh, and then how can that even blossom? And then you, then you want to think forward. How do I buy a house? How do I take care of a family? How do you have kids? And all these other thoughts that go on in your mind. So as a man, I already know I'm a fail. I already know I'm not 
doing the wise things with money and then you bring someone else, a romantic partner into your life and it makes it really tough. It makes it really hard for the self-esteem, for the dignity to really, to get out of that hole. It's, It's a tough thing. I can see what you mean because obviously I'm not a man, so I don't have those cultural pressures that the men, uh, to some extent, I think it unfairly uh, go through those expectations that because you're a man, you're the provider and so on. But I wonder to what extent that plays a part in in um, in all these arguments about money. Because if you are the man and you feel the responsibility of having to provide, even if your girlfriend or wife still works, right? But you feel that if you're not earning a, a certain amount, then as you said, you use the word failure. You, you are a failure. You are unable to provide the basic necessities for this family unit that you've created. I, I wonder to what extent that actually has a negative impact on on the quality of the relationships as well or your ability to, to talk about it because it must be a, a situation where you must feel very vulnerable to actually open up and talk about this. So, so I believe that a lot of men, this is probably the case, they withdraw and they don't really talk to their partners about, look, this is what I'm going through in terms of money. Uh, I feel like I'm not providing enough, even though I work, because uh, often we work full time, we work a lot, we work really hard, but we still struggle to get to the end of the month with that paycheck by paycheck, right? And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with uh, having a job or living paycheck by paycheck, but I think also sometimes uh, women, because we also buy into the idea that men have to provide for us, even if we also have our own money, we add that little extra pressure as well to the men. And I don't know if this was particularly your experience. This might be an experience for, for other person that, that, that women are or can be quite demanding in, in the whole, in the relationship that it might not necessarily always be a balanced relationship in that we both chip in equally, but that because you are the man, you are always supposed to be on top of things, uh, know about finances, take care of things, um, is that is that what your experience was? I mean, wh- did you have a little bit of pressure because of the fact that you were a man? And um, were you able to open up to your girlfriend and, and say, look, this is how I feel. I feel like I'm a failure. No, so I didn't directly experience that. Uh, friends, uh, family, uh, now that I'm in this world is, man, clients consistently uh, with the man in, in the ego. It's really the ego that's really struggling in that thing of feeling that pain and the hurt and again the failure. I mean, and then if he has a if he owns a small business, now it's all on him. Mm-hmm. He's really not bringing home the money to be able to feed his kids, type of thing. True, and that's a lot of pressure, I suppose. But then also on the flip side, right? I'm, I know that I'm not a woman, for example, but. The other side of that coin is women have a security gland that men do not possess. Women are, they want money in the bank for an emergency. They want that safety to feel that. Like 
men, we, we can go down to our last dollar on an investment or something that we, tr- or the business that we truly believe in and we can go and live to the next day. Like we're all in, we can do that. But women, that would, you wouldn't be able to sleep at night. Mm. Right? So if you are in a relationship where there are money struggles, so my advice would be for the woman to not be um, a nag, I guess is a good word, or own the case of the man if he's not bringing home money. He already knows he's not bringing home money. He already knows that he can't pay for food that week. He already knows this. He doesn't need his, his girlfriend or his wife to tell him that. Have a conversation, but she doesn't need to be reminding or put him down. Again, back on the flip side, men to help their wife in a financial struggle situation, men need to, they need to give three to six non-sexual hugs a day for the sake of reassurance. Mm. Now that means hugs, meaning they're not leading to sex. Just connecting. Just connecting. It's going to be okay. Mm. But I suppose this this would be an example or a situation where uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, this woman that you're describing, like women should not nag at the men who are coming home and they spent all the money and they don't know what they're going to do about eating tomorrow. And imagine you've got children, obviously, right? So I think this is this is something that biologically is in in women that you always have to know what to some extent that tomorrow something is guaranteed not a huge amount but something is guaranteed for the sake of staying alive and perhaps men tend to live more dangerously <laughs> and uh, and they have that sort of hunter sort of approach to life like I'll I'll go tomorrow and I'll find something but but yeah. women don't so women are gatherers so I need to have something planted already that I know is there and tomorrow I'll go collect from it. And, and so this idea that women shouldn't nag at men, it's a nice one, but I wonder if it, if it, um, if it corresponds to a situation where the couple have already discussed financial issues or financial approaches prior to getting to that point of the man coming home with nothing and the woman then having to think, oh, I'm not going to nag at him, even though she might be really worried and unable to sleep at night and worried about her children's well-being. So let's think about, let's think about avoiding that situation of women having to get over their feelings and try to understand the man. Because the women could also say, well, I want a man who doesn't come home saying he spent everything. So why does the woman have to always be the one accommodating for the way the men are? Right? And let's think about things that people can do as a couple before getting to that point. Okay? And I just want to read some statistics that I found out today because I don't know how much people are aware of this. And, and these statistics are only good for people who are married because um, they, they belong to research done on married couples. Um, but obviously, people who are 
unmarried and in long-term relationships will probably also have some of these behaviors and probably have found themselves in these situations. And this is from the U.S. because there's always more data about the U.S. than anywhere else. But 41% (laughs) of uh, the marriages in Gen Xers and 29% of boomers ended their marriage due to money issues. So out of all the divorces, 41% of those um, who belong to Generation X and 29% of the boomers did it because of money issues. Those are really high percentages within the, the rate of divorced people. And what they say is that This is where the problems come from. And I wonder whether we can find a way of tackling each of these problems just to help people in their own relationships. So one of the things that people argue about is spending habits, okay, where the partners don't agree on what spending should be like. So one of the partners say, you spend too much. The other one says, you spend too little. Um, So spending habits is one. Dishonesty about money is another one where maybe you're not being 100% honest about how much you earn or how much you spend on, let's say my husband, for instance, on buying shoes. (laughs) I never know if he's told me the exact amount. I don't know. (laughs) And uh, bill splitting is another one, which is really interesting because, you know, it's, it's an interesting one. How do you split your bills? Do you expect as a woman, the man to pay all of the bills and maybe you will pay the rent or do you split everything equally, right? So there's disagreements about that. And also about financial priorities. Do we need to buy that um, expensive brand new car or do we need to, I don't know, go out for dinner to some fancy restaurant twice a week or whatever it might be. So I don't know if you can relate. Obviously, in this relationship that you have now, you I don't think you have any of these issues. <laughs> I should no, hope not. <laughs> that's right. No, that's right. Um, so how did you go about fixing it? How did you go about tackling and preventing these arguments? Yeah, I would love to do one by one, but a blanket answer on everything? No, one by one is fine. Yeah. Communicate. Communication. Right. Right. You mentioned it earlier, vulnerability. And for a man, that is that can be very hard. Mm. Uh, maybe some women as well. But being vulnerable and open to be able to say, oh, I made this mistake or I spent money over here because I was, I was trying to suppress a feeling. Uh, for example, I'll be open with you guys is when I get upset, I eat. Mm. I mean, I'm healthy and I, I mean, I'll eat a salad or whatever, but, um, I do, and I'm not overweight or anything of that nature, but that's what I do. My partner, she gets upset. She doesn't eat. Right. So to be open and honest and for me to know that, and for her to know that it's, uh, it comes to vulnerability and to be able to speak that truthfully to yourself is huge. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, to tackle one by one. So what's the first one again? So the first one is about spending habits yeah. where, where one person thinks, Oh, you spend too much or you spend too little. Yeah. And being, being 
open in, in communicating. So um, the biggest thing that I can say is, are you in debt? The question is, are you in debt? That's one of the biggest issues that I believe individuals and couples, people around the world are struggling with. And if you do have debt and someone is spending outside of that to, in order to pay that off, I could definitely see why that brings, that brings angst to the relationship that brings angst to the other person. Mm. But you got to be open and honest. You got to be on the same plan in agreement. You kept saying it in, in before as well, be in agreement. I mean, if you both agree that debt is okay, then both of you agree. It's whatever works for your relationship. Mm -hmm. But if one person agrees that debt's okay and the other person does not agree, then that there's the issue. Mm -hmm. For example, in my current relationship, yes. debt is not okay. We are 100% debt-free and we're never going to go back into debt. We're in agreement. If, if it's not too personal... At what point in your relationship with this woman did you bring up the subject of money or did you disclose, let's say, at what point in that relationship did you both sit down and say, okay, let's talk about money because something is happening. We're, we're, we're a couple now. We need to talk about it. That's kind of fun uh, because I don't think I was very aggressive and uh, uh, I thought I took my time with uh, <laughs> bringing the subject up. But I think she has probably a different view on that. But I would say it's pretty, 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 pretty early in the relationship. You know, three to six months in, we're definitely having the conversation. Um, I wouldn't recommend anything past that, even if it's something small. I mean, you don't if you don't feel comfortable sharing your income or um, whatever that makes you feel uncomfortable, when at what time period is going to make you feel comfortable to bring up your debt load, your income anything like that. So it does blossom. So three to six months, maybe 12, but there, there's no chance you need to wait five years to talk about money. Mm. Mm. And you, you would recommend just being all out, like talk about your debt, talk about, as you said before, spending habits. Maybe when you get upset, you, you eat, but um, there is this thing called retail therapy, right? So maybe other people, get upset and they go shopping, <laughs> they go on a shopping spree. And so we, we, I suppose it's important to know, it's important for one to be aware of their pattern. And is this something that I do when I go shopping? Do I shop because I need to buy things or because buying things make me feel good for a period of time? And I suppose just come clean to your partner about it. And that's right. Like If this is something that you did, it's mm. done, right? Like either the woman or the man, whoever shops, you can't be upset. I mean, yes, it may hurt your feelings, but as soon as you get angry, that person's not going to tell you the next thing they do wrong. Mm. True. They're not. They're just going to continue to hide things. And that's what you do not want. And it becomes a really big problem. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So you want to, you want to then um, tackle the topic of money anytime from three to six months, one year tops. And, and how do you do it? Um, do you wait for the opportunity to come by itself? Or do you say, okay, let's sit down and talk about money. What, how are we going to do this? 
whatever works for you. I, I'm, I would say it gradual is better, but that's what kind of works for me. I, I'm also a coach. I live and breathe finance. I love the subject. So it's hard for me not to talk about it. Mm-hmm. We, I, I talk about it every day with, on, with someone somehow, but uh, for my partner, maybe once a week or uh, I don't know, you know, maybe every fortnight. Um, if two people are uncomfortable, maybe it's once a month. I wouldn't probably put it past more than that. I mean, in the beginning, that first year, okay. But after that, I mean, we talked about it before. Doing a monthly cash flow plan is mandatory. Mandatory on everybody for each individual. Um, and then if you get into a relationship, and especially when you're married. And we're going to be tackling some uh, some things on the, the married to-do lists as well but so the number one thing that every couple married or unmarried should do is to have a monthly cash flow plan and i suppose this works for people who live together right because if you live with uh, your friends and she lives with her friends maybe maybe yes there could be a need to do a cash flow plan but maybe not a joint one you would do your own and she would do her own but we're talking about yeah. doing a joint cash flow plan for your finances. So once you're married? Once you're married or once you're living together and, and, you're, and you're going to be sharing expenses, I suppose, right? And sharing money. Yeah, you can do that. Uh, for example, um, there's two different ones. I, I actually personally struggled with moving in with my partner before we were married. Mm-hmm. But that was something that I was programmed and I had to unlearn and learn something new. So we did that. She helped me along with that. And that comes back to communication, being vulnerable and open, open to learning something new. Mm-hmm. So I was able to learn from that. Um, and then as far as the finances go, we still do keep our things separate because we're not married. Right. Now we do have a monthly cash flow plan that we go off of and we've we have decided we contribute to that equally so it's a 50 50 split now the day that we get married or what i suggest for married couples is there's no longer you're no longer individual everything gets put together there's one bank there's one monthly cash flow plan Yes, there can be different retirement accounts because if you work and he works and these types of things, but everything is tied together. There's no hidden accounts. There's no hidden spending. You can't spend outside of what you have said that you can spend and agreed upon. Hmm. So this monthly cash flow plan would include... um uh, budgeting separately for your own spending money? Oh, for sure. For example, I want to be clear on that is, if, for example, your husband loves to buy shoes. Yeah. Um, let's say he wants $500 a month on shoes to buy it or read to resale, whatever his goal is. That has to be agreed with with you. If you agree to that, who cares what shoes and how many he comes home with? Mm-hmm. Because you know he's not going to spend more than 500 bucks that month. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, or if he chooses to, to save that money, then that's up to him what he does with that money. That's his own pocket money for the month. And that, that's one of the biggest issues. And that's something I got to learn in my current relationship. For example, we each have spending money. And her amount, uh, let's just say it's $100 a week or whatever the number is. $100 a week to buy coffees, shoes, clothes, whatever, massages, anything that comes up. It's just miscellaneous spending money. Mm-hmm. Now, she can go get a massage for $100 or she can go buy one pair of shoes for 100 bucks, or she could go buy four pairs of shoes for $25 each, right? I don't have to question how much or what it is on. I don't have to get mad at how many bags she walks in with the door because if she came in with 20 different bags, then that means that she may have been saving up those hundred dollar weeks and just went on a spending spree. I don't have to get upset about it because we've already agreed upon amount of money that has been spent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. So when you do your monthly cash flow and you're, I'm sorry, I don't know if you can hear a helicopter out there. No, (laughs) good. So you want to budget for, you want to look at how much for married couples, right? You want to look at how much money is coming in. You want to make sure that you, you put money aside for your bills, your gas, your electricity, your TV, school fees, whatever it might be, absolute essentials, your rent. Then you want to make sure that you put some money aside, um, maybe for a retirement fund or something? If, do, do you recommend retirement funds or college plans or things like that if you've got children, like making monthly contributions to that? I do. So like you said, the, what I call the four walls, you got food, clothing, shelter, and transportation to get back and forth to work. You got those things that you must cover. Those are the foundation. The next thing is, do you have any debt? If you have debt outside right. of a mortgage, any credit cards, student loans, car loans, any of that. I want all of that gone. Hmm. All so, of that. That's where so the before you is. even think about your own budget and your own spending money, priorities, your four walls, essentials, yes. and then you think about whether you have any debt, okay, and you set a payment plan, whatever amount suits you. Yes. All right. And you want to get that gone as soon as possible. So once... Once you are debt-free outside of a mortgage, mm-hmm. then we'll start uh, retirement, like you said. I okay. recommend 15% of your income going into retirement. And then kids 50%. 15, one, 15, five. 15, 15%, okay, towards your retirement plan. Okay. Yeah. And then and what about college funds or things like that? They yeah. go next. Same yeah. uh, percentage or smaller percentage, I suppose. Whatever. It, this is Whatever all you can afford. Right. If you want to. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people don't have kids. Some people uh, don't think their kids are going to college or uh, expect the kid to grow up and, and work. be an individual. <laughs> Find their and, own and way. Do it themselves. Correct. So whatever you're in agreement with, with your spouse mm-hmm. in that situation. And, and then after and, that is to pay off your home early. So you mm-hmm. want to do those steps all together. You have 15% kids, school uh, fees, and then uh, pay your house off early, all, all at the same time. Hmm. 
And would you recommend to have a minimum amount of savings before you then think about how much money you are going to allocate for yourself for your own spending? Or would you allocate so, your own spending and then whatever is left, that's your savings? You can, again, whatever you, whatever helps. I love the line um, that I help my clients with, whatever you feel comfortable and lets you sleep at night. So once you're out of debt, I do recommend having an emergency fund of three to six months set aside of expenses. Mm -hmm. And that amount can be, that varies. Uh, for example, I read an article about someone that had $800 a month in expenses. Now that seems a little low, but he was an individual living in the woods. And I can't, I can't say he's lying, but it, that seems a little low to me. But it doesn't need to be a hundred thousand dollars, right? I don't. Mm -hmm. That seems that's a bit extreme, extravagant, um, and it does increase over time. It, for me, it was an end of, as a single man, it was pretty small, and then you get into a relationship, and then sometimes kids come along, and it just comes. It can go from five to ten to twenty, uh, depending on your income and your expenses. Right? It's three to six months of your household and your expenses. Mm. Yeah, I think it's is great advice. I think for 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 anybody really, <laughs> because it's, it's such a good exercise to go through monthly. Um, and yes. then I suppose you can also readjust from month to month, depending. I suppose if you're an entrepreneur and your your income fluctuates from month to month, you might have to adjust here and there. As opposed to when you're an employee and you have a fixed salary where you can almost predict what your expenses are going to be and how much money you can save and so on. That's right. And you, you, had, a, you had a couple more on that list. So what was number two on that list? Number two, so the, yeah, number one was spending habits, people who spend too much or too little. And I suppose then going through this, uh, that we just discussed the cash flow and allocating some money finally after everything else. But number two is dishonesty about money. Yeah. When people don't and disclose their shopping habits, for instance, or the actual amount they earn or they spend. Yeah, and we touched on that a little bit, right? When you're married and everything is combined, then there's no there's no chance that things can be hidden. Like I said, the example of if my partner came in with 20 different bags, I don't have to question. I don't have to get angry. I don't have to get upset. I know that money has been allocated previously. Mm. Yes. And I think a big one is that vulnerability again, um, that because, you know, nobody wants to be, nobody wants to feel ashamed mm. in having to say, you know, I don't know, for instance, imagine you're married to somebody or you're dating somebody and you, unbeknownst to you, they have a drinking problem or they have a gambling problem or they just have a shoe addiction or whatever it might be. And they're they're not telling you about it because of the fear of being judged or that you might not love them anymore or something like that. So as well as um, talking about it, talking about, you know, it's, it's a bit lighter to say, oh, yeah, I, I love handbags and I like to buy one every month. Um, some some of this dishonesty may be coming from a place of fear and shame. And I suppose for any couple out there, 
if you truly love and care about your partner, you're going to have to take a step back and, and make room for the idea at least that there could be something deeper and bigger about why your partner is being dishonest about their spending and just approach it from a place of love and try to be non-judgmental just to identify what the issue is. Um, but this is this is like as much as we can say, really, isn't it, on the topic? Because of course, if the person doesn't doesn't eventually feel inspired or safe enough to disclose uh, what might be going wrong with them, or it might not be at a mental or emotional place where he's he or she are ready to make changes then that will continue to be an issue in the relationship, I suppose. So dishonesty about money is a big one, um, but it's very much the work of the individual who's got the issue, who's being dishonest, and hopefully anybody listening who knows they're withdrawing information from their partners out of shame or out of a feeling that they don't know how to break the pattern there are things that they can do. And there's people like yourself, Mike, you can go and find a financial coach where that you can open up to who will give you some advice as to how to, you know, the next step to take if you truly care about your relationship in order to save it. What can you do? How can you disclose this information to your partner and maybe work together to restore that trust? Um, the next uh, item here on the on the list is bill splitting. Yeah, and, and we we touched on that. So we touched on yeah. that, but how do we you do it? Let's say that we're married, hmm. or, or you marry your girlfriend. How do you choose to split your bills? So once you're married, there's no bill splitting. For example, a stay-at-home mom technically doesn't bring <laughs> home an income. Then mm. what? Right. So there's no bill split. She can't cover her half if that's the agreement. Now, my partner and I are doing that. We've chosen, discussed it, and, and we're happy to do it a 50-50 way. But really, that's kind of unfair. She goes, for example, if she goes out to work, I work from home. I use more heat, more water. Uh, and I promise you, I eat more food. Right. <laughs> but there's things that she does that I don't do. Right. It's a give and take. It's an ebb and a flow. But when you're married, you're one. You're completely one. Uh, and I think the, the stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, you know, the stay-at-home parents, are uh, is a good example because there's not a monetary paycheck that comes to them, but they provide a lot of value. They cook at home. They're healthier. They're more one-on-one -on -one with the kids. There's no daycare expenses. There's so many benefits uh, to stay-at-home moms. So once you're married, there is no bill splitting. And for me, in my, in my opinion, it's whatever you agree on, right? It's not my marriage. It's not my relationship. I can only give you advice of what I would do and what I have done. Hmm. So that's Yeah, and I, I suppose know. you have to look at who, um, realistically, who can afford perhaps to cover more of the expenses because um, – I might be the wife and be earning more than you are. So it would be unfair for me to expect you to pay a larger share of the bills, for instance, or to pay all the bills and the rent and I pay the shopping or whatever. So, so this one would be 
to the discretion of those in the couple just to see what works for you and what doesn't to what to what extent you or how you want to be splitting those bills and those those payments yeah communication 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 yeah. talk about it and be okay with it and know that it can change maybe you're okay with it mm-hmm. but maybe two two years of me sitting on the couch playing playstation isn't going to be okay with you at that time <laughs> right so it, those are things that can change and know that they change yeah yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. It's an ongoing conversation, isn't it? Finances and 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 yeah, just just money in general and 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 the situation. And as you said before as well, I think it's an important point that that your your situation changes, your jobs change, and somehow as the, the more you earn for whatever reason is the more you spend as well. Because your lifestyle choices change. Even though, you know, if you think back at when you were a student and you, you were eating noodles and pasta every day, you were able to survive with very, very little. And if now you had to survive with that same amount, you'd be like, I can't do it. But you can. <laughs> it's just that your whole ha- lifestyle has changed. So I think often when, when we look at our expenses and we think, I just have too many expenses, actually there's ways, there, there's things you can reduce consumption of um, or spending on that can bring your, you know, your expenses down considerably if you are struggling. So it's worth noting that. Okay, the last point here is financial priorities. Yeah, bit related to, to that. Yeah, yeah, and I think we touched on quite a bit of the priorities. For me, what I teach is to be able to get out of debt. To me, that is a priority that should be everyone's priority, um, but it's not. And that I know the benefits of being debt-free. I know what it feels like to be in debt. I remember those sleepless nights, the stress and all this. Right. So then it became a moment in time, you know, my story of when my truck broke down and left me on the side of the road. And that was a moment that shifted my priority. At the t- before that, my priority was looking good in a brand new truck with a brand new dirt bike and a brand new house, but it left me broken down. Then my priority went to, no, my priority is to get out of debt. Mm. And that's what I did. And that's what I teach now because I know the difference of where it can lead and the things that you get to do on the other side of that. Um, and yes, priority for me now, and you know, that's over 10 years ago, but now it's all about traveling. It's about giving. It's about sharing my message and and hopefully creating a ripple effect of not only people becoming debt-free, but getting control of their finances and building wealth to be able to give even more. Hmm. And talking about this, creating financial wealth, obviously the first thing you want to do is be debt-free. We talked about this, super important, right? After having all your basics, um, cared for um what do you think are some of the best for any couples out there thinking okay look we're living paycheck to paycheck we're struggling to make ends meet we would like to invest maybe their priority is to try get a little you know money working for them they might say okay let's let's take a year or two years where we don't invest in our retirement plan but that same amount we want to put it to work for us somewhere else 
I don't know. I don't know what will give you more money, actually, if, if a retirement plan or or investing somewhere. But let's say that there's a couple out there who are looking to invest on something. What do you think are the best first time investments that people can look into? Bar none, the best investment anyone can make is within themselves. You look at your rate of return from someone that went to school to be an engineer. Hmm. You know, they went to school to be an engineer, say they paid $40,000 for that. The first year, they make $50,000. So in one year, they've already made their money back. Yes, they had spent four years to get the degree, but then the next year, they make another 50, and then, oh, they get a raise. Now they're going to make 60 over time. The investment in yourself is the best investment anyone can make. Right. So investing in your own education. Yes. To to perhaps if you're working a nine to five, maybe looking at other things that you could be doing to create more income for yourself. Yes. So that, that could mean a career change for some people. It could, it could mean a career change. It could be a relationship course. It could be a self-development course. It could be learning how to build a house uh, or become a nurse or become an electrician, anything, whatever brings you joy. Because once you start doing the things that you really love, man, you'll work the rest of your life, Mm. right? Maybe you don't do nine to five and work 40, 60 hours a week, but you will start and will continue to uh, work. I mean, I got the luxury to quote unquote retire at 30. So I was a retired engineer, but it took me about less. It took me less than a year to realize that retirement life sucks. <laughs> Not that it was all bad, but there's only so many beaches you can lay on. There's only so many fish you can go fishing for. There's so many mountains you can climb and hike. You start, I, sorry, I, started to feel like I needed to contribute back in some way. And that's when I got into coaching full time. And now, man, I'll, I will do this for the rest of my life. And yes. um, I'll be a hundred yeah. years old. about this. So I guess this advice is for those who are in jobs or situations where they're not necessarily earning um, what they would like to in an ideal world and for people who are not necessarily fulfilling the life's purpose, they just, they have a job, they're doing something, but they're not necessarily entirely happy with that. Your advice is go invest on yourself, on your own education and development so that you can actually create a different life for yourself. You could be an entrepreneur or you could even work for somebody else, but it would elevate your worth and you could earn more money. I do agree with that. And be careful with, I know, I don't know if you're trying to say this, but a lot of people do try to listen out for how to get rich quick. Mm-hmm. How do I make the most money on my money? Be careful. If I can, if anyone listens, please hear this because money will not make you happy. Mm-hmm. Money is a magnifying glass that will only expose you for who you truly are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're going to win the lottery, and that's going to solve your problems. You're going to make $100,000 more a year. That's going to solve your problems. No, it makes you more of who you are. If you're a giver, you're going to give more. If you're a consumer, you're going to consume more. If you're happy, you're going to be happier. If you're angry, you're going to be angrier. 
Mm-hmm. It is nothing but a tool that will expose you and magnify what you are. Mm. Okay, well, that's a big one to take in. I was thinking, <laughs> I was just thinking, okay, what are the, I don't know, like let's invest in the stock market and, and have like some money growing on the side so that in 10 years, 20 years time, you know, you, you can look at a million dollars. There are those, right? Yeah, and that's what I do invest in those. I invest in mutual funds. I have invested in real estate in the past. I currently own no real estate. In the future, will I go back that route? Potentially. But right now, I'm happy with my retirement accounts that you brought up before, mutual funds outside of retirement accounts. And um, that's all I invest in now. Uh, A lot of people talk about Bitcoin and gold and silver, oil, individual stocks. There's all types of things. There's multi-level marketing. There's all types of things out there that you can invest in. Uh, But do your homework. I think that was the biggest thing that I can tell you. Don't do what I tell you to do. Mm. Do what you believe in. Yeah, because don't do it because someone else told you to do it. Mm. Do it because you believe in it. You've right. Because what works for somebody might not necessarily work for you. So it's not a matter of oh this uh, this is there. So let me just copy what so and so did. It, it might not necessarily work for you. Yeah. And you got to have that reason. You got to have that why. For example, I could go back to school and study to be a nurse, but I promise you, I'm not going to be a very good nurse. It's not something that uh, that's not I'm called to do. Mm. Right. But if someone is called to do that and they go to study to be a nurse and they can be the best nurse on the planet. Yeah. Because that's why they they want to do it and they know it. Yeah. They're calling yeah, so that goes back to your advice number one: invest in yourself and try to be, try to be the best you can, and you can be your own resource and your own source of money. That's right. If if that's money what you want to do, money will not bring you happiness. If you're not happy, money will not make you happy. Yeah, that's a good takeaway. <laughs> that is true. Money will not make you happy, and I think for anyone in a relationship listening to this right now. Um, that has experienced those final arguments about money, they will know that money doesn't make you happy because money can be the source of a lot of conflict. And so until you resolve your issues within your couple, within your marriage, you have open communication, as you said, Mike, about all these issues, you have to come clean. You have to just be transparent. You have to own your your mistakes. You have to own your um, your vices, if you have your addictions, whatever it is. The only way that love can triumph and that you can actually make your marriage or your relationship work is if you are honest about yeah. everything and be open and honest. Hiding that, whatever yes. it is. You're hiding anything is much worse than not telling the truth. Even if there's pain and there's hurt, and even if it's the end of a relationship, at least you were open. At exactly. Least you were yeah, and it can actually, it can actually be the the you know the reason for love to grow again. Because if you've been hiding something from your partner and they don't trust you, but then you actually come clean, the other person will value that so much. Because 
we all know how hard it is to to just come clean right with with stuff and if you mean it yeah. if you're honest if you're genuine your partner will only love you more and support you 100% all the way yes I, I agree with you because we it's natural to think of all the negative things. Well, if I do this, oh, they're gonna do, hate me and never talk to me again and all this. Well, what about the other side of that coin? Like you just got to. What if it's a new level of love? There's a new level of openness. Now we get to do even cooler things because of an open and vulnerable conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it can actually just being able to tackle those issues can actually be the cure to the problem. And within a reasonable period of time, if it's debt that you're trying to um, to deal with or um, any of these spending habits that the other person may be suffering from, sure, you'll have to work through those for some time, maybe a year, maybe two years, I don't know, whatever, however long it takes. But you must know that there will be an end to it. And once you've healed those wounds or sorted out those problems then as a couple you'll be back to ground you know uh, zero and you can then build the life that you both wish to build having learned those lessons along the way yes and uh, and grow together as a couple and enjoy everything else so so yeah nothing is as bad as it seems i suppose but it's true that our brains always have us picture in the worst case scenario and that just fosters fear and, 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 and it makes us behave in ways that sometimes we don't necessarily mean to, but we just do. It's automatic. <laughs> oh, Mike, thank you so much for all those tips. That's just been so helpful. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And uh, I, I do hope that the listeners uh, have had some takeaways. And please comment below with any other questions that you have and, and reach out to me whenever you get the chance. Uh, and you can find me at moneylikemike.com on book and Instagram. Yes. Uh, and do visit the website and do follow him on Instagram or Facebook if you can, because there's a lot of content. There are videos there that you post regularly on different topics. And um, there's uh, on your website, you have freebies that you can download, a guide to investment, how to budget and stuff like that. So do follow Mike because you will get tons of value uh, from just uh, following his activity. And, and he's ever such a nice guy. You can email him, text him, and I'm sure he'll be more than happy to answer any of your questions. So... I hope that this episode has added some value to you guys. Um, and uh, again, any other topic uh, related to money that you want us to talk about, let us know. Thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs>